Hello and welcome to In The Know. This is the podcast where we talk about all things property. My name is Dominika Bartor and I'm a buyer's advocate with Henderson Advocacy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to keeping you in the know. Well, thank you so much for joining the In The Know podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise. What I wanted to run through today, you've got a solid reputation around the the North Shore and the Upper North Shore. And I wanted to unpack the journey that you've had into real estate. Sure, sure. Far away. I mean, it has been a long, it's been a 21 year journey. Well, actually a 27 year journey, but 21 in this business. So it's been a journey for sure. Wow. And I'd love to know what drew you to the real estate industry? You know, interesting, I was firstly in hospitality and that sort of role, that sort of industry, and just always had an interest, interest in architecture and property. And, um, you know, that just, uh, my, I just gravitated towards that part of that, you know, that industry. Um, as I said, started 27 years ago, you know, I was in hospitality for about five years and, um, you know, the hours and the pay wasn't really exciting me there. So thought I'd um, venture into the property market and, uh, yeah, got my first job in Linfield at Richardson & Wrench in 1994. And uh, yeah, onwards and upwards from there. Wow. So hospitality to real estate, it must have been a big change for you. Yeah, but you know, Dom, it was also about service. And um, not that I had a lot of experience in buying or selling property that age, but what I thought I'd bring to the industry was just, you know, I was working for the Ritz-Carlton Group when they started here in Australia, and they had such an amazing ethos around customer service. And I just thought, well, if I could take that customer service ethos into real estate, um, that uh, that would be a good start. And, you know, so that was my approach. Yeah, I agree. I think the industry itself is quite a relationship-based industry, as you and I both know. So I can imagine there's a lot of transferable skills between hospitality and real estate. Yeah, well, it's a people game, isn't it? So, you know, if you think about hospitality, that's a people game as well. So it's, you know, it's helping people, it's providing a level of customer service, it's solutionising situations for people and um, very transferable across to real estate because at the end of the day, we are a relationship business and, you know, we're here to serve and to give. And, um, you know, so they're very transferable skills between those two industries. And, and you know, you do see a lot of successful, I think, real estate agents in um, real estate who have been in hospitality. I agree. And you mentioned successful real estate agents. You're obviously doing phenomenally well for yourself being in the industry for, like you said, 27 plus years. You know, we see people come and go all the time. I myself am fairly new into the industry. So I'd love to learn from your experience, I guess, where you started and, and how you've gotten to where you are now. Yeah, I don't know, being 27 years, is that a good or a bad thing? I mean, that could mean that I actually haven't made it yet. But um, yeah, look, started in 94 and, and worked for six or seven years with that company. And that was a really good foundation. And, and a lot has changed, obviously, since then. You know, we had uh, dare I say, Rolodexes. We didn't have email. We didn't have mobile phones. We we didn't have, you know, realestate.com domain. It came soon after. But so it was really, you know, they were the days that people would walk into the office, they want to buy a house, you whack them in the car, you drive them around to property sort of thing. Um, you know, I remember ringing, you know, talk to a colleague of mine, we used to have to ring the Sydney Morning Herald and, you know, draft the ads over the phone to the, to the classified agent sort of thing and get it into the paper. And, you know, it was all exciting stuff. So, so, you know, that early entry into it really was um, a big, uh, you know, open mind up, my mind up to what you had to do. And it was really, yeah, back then I was, you know, my, four, my, my core focus was door knocking, letterbox shopping, trying to build a database with, you know, I think it was ACT, which is a pretty old school database. 
and trying to then keep communication, you know, open and those channels going with clients and trying to build that that client list. So interesting times. You fast forward to today and look what we're doing today. It's just insane. That was my next question for you is, is there anything that you miss from the traditional starts and the, you know, calling up the newspapers and door knocking and letterbox dropping versus, you know, the deluxe CRM systems that we've got now and AI integrations and all this sort of stuff that, that's floating out there. Is there anything that you miss specifically about how it used to be done? Not really because, you know, it's making it so much more efficient and it's exciting. So, you know, back then it was exciting as well, but I don't think you can actually um, – there's a couple of basics and fundamentals still, like door knocking, letterbox dropping, telephone calling. You still have to do those. They're still a fundamental part of the job. Um, I, I still enjoy that, you know, in the sense that, you know, I was on the phone yesterday doing some training with one of our new recruits and um, uh, it was so much fun just to, you know, to do a buyer call, do a service call, to actually, you know, get more information, untangle that web of what they really want to get out of their real estate journey and transaction, um, whacking them into the CRM and then supplying them with good content. Um, or relevant content to what they're looking for, you know, that's that's still good old-fashioned real estate, you know, and uh, I still enjoy that. You know, that's the buzz side of it. And I think for any salesperson, that, that's a relationship and uncovering and unearthing what that particular client is wanting and then actually being able to deliver that is, I think that's the challenge and, and the skill, but also the rewarding part of it when you can do that. I agree. And the skill set that you mentioned in terms of, you know, building trust and the, the client management side of things and the prospecting, is that something that you've developed naturally over time or is there specific, you know, trainings and stuff that you and your team have gone through to hone those skills? Yeah, oh, look, absolutely. So, I mean, I adopted and, and got in the early days with Michael Sheargold at the Real Estate Results Network back in 2005. Um, so, you know, from the very early stages, we started the business in 2000. So, the first sort of three or four years, we were finding our feet and, and getting our mojo and getting our brand right and all those sort of things and the fundamentals. But uh, then met with Michael and, um, and you know, it was onwards and upwards from there. So, Michael was very much about growth and how we could grow the business and his first mandate to, to myself and Sam, who's my, not only my wife, but my business partner, was, you know, we need to get out there and get some sales agents. And, you know, it's so what we did, you know, fundamentally follow his guidance. We went out there, we hired four people or three people straight off the bat. Um, and I guess I became a mentor to those guys. So everywhere they went, whatever they did, whatever I did, they followed me. Um, it was like, you know, the, the mother duck and the duckling sort of thing. And, and eventually over time, I was able to transfer my skills and my um, attributes across to them and then release them into their own markets. And um, so a lot of training, you know, with Michael, he's got a great training um, platform. Um, having not been in real estate, he looks at it very differently, which is great, but his dialogue's awesome. And effectively, yeah, we just followed his lead. And um, and I guess that's sort of the person I am as someone, you know, challenges me and says, okay, Matt, where do you want to take the business? What do you want to do next? And I say A, B, and C, then, you know, off I go and do it. And um or if he gives me some, if they, back in those days, if he gave me some guidance, you know, we just sort of adopt it and go, okay, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, from 2005 to 2010, I think our growth was averaging about 110% year on year, which was massive. Then obviously, you know, I think GSC came in and things things um, settled a bit, but our training was a massive part of that part of that growth. We adopt the same, I guess, ethos at Henderson. We're quite big on, you know, the dialogue training and the market training, even down to personal development. I think every single person on the team is huge into, you know, books and podcasts. I mean, this is prime example. We're doing our own podcast, but I've been reading recently the Simon Sinek book with Start With Why. Yep. 
the awesome. key thing that stood out for me was people resonate obviously with why you're doing what you're doing as opposed to what specifically it is you're doing. So I'd love to know from your perspective as a real estate agent, what your why was when you began in the real estate industry? You know what? I think my why at the beginning was to make some money. Um, That's probably the first thing, to be honest with you. Um, Then my why became, you know, when we started the business, my why at that point was, you know, it was heavily franchise dominated back then. And when we started McConnellborn, um, we actually started as a property management business to start with because, you know, we just had children and I figured, well, I'm a commission-only sales agent. How can I sort of, you know, um, stabilise the ups and downs of the income process when sales? So we thought property management, reoccurring income, great, let's go for it. Um, and then someone said, "Can you? I want to sell my property. Um, and at that point, you know, I was in renegotiations with my, my current boss and um, I just jumped out and, and did a sale as McConnell and left that organisation. So my why when we did that, I guess getting back to that, was I wanted to offer, we wanted to, my wife and I wanted to offer a different level of service um, and a different level, of, I guess, marketing. And we were very much inspired by John McGrath back then. You know, John was doing great things in the early days of McGrath and taking it to a whole new level. And there just didn't seem to be a whole lot of change in the franchise sort of system at that point in time. So we just figured that, you know what, I did a survey, why were people using me? Um, or was it me, was it the brand? And 90% of the, you know, information coming back to me was that people wanted to use uh, myself. The brand came second. So I figured, okay, well, if we can somehow melt, you know, mold that together and go, okay, they want me, the brand's important, but at that point it wasn't super important, let's create a brand that perhaps could offer a different level of importance. Um, and and I guess we went very much with that boutique sort of brand. So specialisation rather than generalisation, trying to be more of an authority in the marketplace and just being a generous in the marketplace. So there, I guess, are initially our whys and really trying to, um, provide a point of difference and a, a massive attention to detail um, at every turn and every step we took with the business. Um, and that, you know, fundamentally, uh, Dom, hasn't really changed to now, although, you know, next level thinking is is where we're at now. Yeah, great points, Matt. And I'd love to know, you obviously have a strong leadership core between yourself and the wider team. Do you think that's been the attributing factor to the growth and the success of McConnell Bourne? Yeah, look, I very much um, adopt the point of view that, you know, if I can't, if I can't do it, I, I shouldn't expect them to do it. I'm very, uh, very, my core focus is support um, from dialogue to listing to negotiation to auctioneering to whatever. Um, the only way I can make my team successful is really by siding up to them and actually helping them to be successful. Um, and I think if you invest the time in doing that, you actually fast track um, the team's uh, success in that process. So, um that's, you know, there's no hierarchical sort of scenario in my, in my office. Um, it's all boots on the ground. You know, I go to a, a lot of auctions. I get a lot of open homes. I get a lot of listing presentations. I get involved in a lot of negotiation. And every time I do that, it's what's the learning in it for the person I'm actually with. So that's really, really important to me. I think that's a great point you touched on and something I want to take into kind of shifting gears with the next question Around the time that you've been in the real estate market, I know you mentioned just then around the day-to-day and the auctions and the inspections. How have you found all of that in the current market that we're in with the lockdowns? Been really good. Um, funny enough, we have 100% success. Um, not funny. I mean, it doesn't have my chance, but 100% success rate in our auctions. We've really adopted and transferred to the Zoom auction process. So we're using that as a platform. Um, you know, my COO, Bobby, Bobby Ivanov, manages that whole process where um, 
and the, you know, we're using RTA, real-time agent from the bidder registration process, but taking it from that all the way through to registration, getting people on board, our auctioneer, um, it's been insane. So, and I've, I've been super surprised at how just the general community around real estate has actually a, a, adapted to that to the point where you go, you know what, is that going to be a, you know, will this be a method? Will this, will this be part of the, the options for clients now to do on-site, do online, you know, will this be actually become part of our, our processes? So, and, you know, you look at the buyers on the screen and they're, they seem to be much more relaxed. Um, you know, they're not, uh, they're not racing around trying to get to the house, trying to get registered, trying to get organised and that sort of stuff. They seem much more, far more relaxed. Um, so for us, it's worked really well, as I said, 100%, and, and every property's gone above reserve, some, some massively above reserve, which has been great to see. It's a fascinating pivot, isn't it? I think and people have overused it, I know, but it's very much the new normal now in terms of the digital space coming into that physical human-to-human aspect. And, I mean, we've seen an on the, the buyer side as well, like you said, it's slightly more relaxing not being in a room with 50, sometimes 100 people packed into, you know, a tiny kitchen while the auction is yeah. doing their thing. So it's an interesting change that we've been through. Yeah, and I think going forward, I mean, look at us now where, you know, we usually do this face-to-face, right, with a cameraman standing over there. But, um, you know, I think it's been really good for everyone, Um Look, those who want to adopt and change and actually um, move into a digital world, I'm personally finding it so much more convenient to talk to clients, talk to team members. Um, you know, my one-on-one process with my team, you know, there's no sort of now lag time or, or wasted time driving between offices. We jump online, we talk, um, and the same with clients, you know, going out, doing those weekly catch-up with clients, just doing it on Zoom or doing it on Teams, far, far more efficient. And I also find, Dom, that it's probably a little bit less this could be good or bad, but a little bit less sort of small talk at the beginning. It's like, I think digitally we get straight into business um, because maybe we've got, you know, a lineup of digital business meetings to do, but um, this seems to me a very, very efficient process and I'm enjoying it immensely. I agree. And you and I are both on opposite ends of the fence, I guess, me being on the buyer side and yourself on the seller side. How have you found the sellers adapt to it? Yeah, really well, surprisingly. I think, look, first lockdown, not at all. Um, this lockdown, very much so. I mean, you know, and, and I guess, you know, we could only sit there on the 26th of June and go, well, we only have, what was the, the previous March, April, May to sort of really th- to, to judge or to look at and say that's how it worked then, what's it going to be like now. But, wow, what a turnaround. I mean, who would have thought that, um, you know, we'd be sitting at 80% plus clearance rates um, the amount of auctions we're doing each weekend, the amount of inspections we're doing each weekend. Sure, it's more complicated, but just generally sellers uh, and buyers have adapted incredibly. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Because, I mean, you think this time last year in the first lockdown, there was the naysayers that were predicting, you know, yep. ridiculous plummets. And obviously we never saw that. We saw the complete opposite. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few months as people start to evolve and kind of, become the norm with what we're in at the moment. It's funny, you know, I think that it's mentioned in Melbourne, they're coming out of lockdown for like property property inspections and start up again. I spoke to a photographer this morning in Melbourne. He said he's got a thousand bookings pending to a photographer to photograph houses to get to market. So yeah. that just, that, you know, so that just tells you what's going to happen. But Sydney, we've been fortunate. I think, you know, our government's done a great job in allowing real estate to remain open. I mean, clearly it's a good cash cow for them, but um 
the, the great thing is that, you know, like you can inspect property, you can act for buyers, I can act for sellers and show property. Yeah, it's a little different. We might have to spend, we've had some agents here that have had you know, properties that popular that have been there from 7.30 in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon doing 10-minute appointments. Wow. You know if that's what we've got to do, that's what we've got to do. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, what I was going to say there, sorry, what I was going to say there was going forward is, um, yeah, sure. Things will open up. More property will come to market. We might go back to. We will go back to those old ways of doing things, which you know, in one way, is exciting, and the other way, I've really enjoyed the one-on-one -on -one contact with clients and buyers, especially. You know, getting to know them better. Um, but as far as prop twenty twenty two, my prediction is the property market is still going to be positive and, and roaring along. Have you noticed the shift in what it is that buyers are searching for, given work from home? Are people looking, you know, for bigger space and more kind of division between? the kids and homeschooling and all the online stuff and the home offices, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, totally. Look, I've got a house at the moment in Taramara where there's four of them working from home. Um, fortunately, it's a six-bedroom home and there's only four people in the house, so everyone's got a space. So, and it's got three big living spaces. Um, so, yeah, and, and again, I was at a client's house this morning, which is a seven-bedroom, six-bathroom home. You know, you'd almost say it's been purposely COVID-built because everyone has such you know, amazing spaces in their own space in the property that they're not on top of each other and they can really work efficiently. So, yeah, there's definitely this um, this need from, from buyers to find more specific style of properties that are going to suit them in the future because really out of this, I guess, Dom, you know, we'll probably find a lot more people will work from home at least a portion of the time, if not a lot of the time, yeah. um, and including my team. You know, I've spoken to a number of my team here who say, you know, actually at home they're far more productive. So it might be a, a case of, you know, AM in the home and PM in the in the office or out in the market. But, yeah, buyers are definitely looking for something different. Yeah, I agree. And it'd, it'd be interesting to see. I know a lot of the buyers that we work with, for example, in the Upper North Shore, predominantly everyone wants to be on, you know, the eastern side. And there's kind of that elite, I guess, notion around the east. But we've seen people become a little bit more relaxed between, you know, if it's within the walk to our radius, we're willing to go to the west and we're willing to negotiate more on smaller land size and stuff like that. Is that what you've seen on your side as well? Yeah, definitely more about property than the location. So their, will their willingness to open up your, your broader spectrum of where I would buy is, yeah, for sure, that's changed rapidly. And um, uh, and that's, I think, purely, yeah, Don, because they need, they want a particular type of property. If that's only available on the west side or, in, you know, they'll go there. Um, and let's face it, I guess, you know, when I went to school and, and maybe you, you know, I used to ride my bike to school, right? But these days, and being a parent, um, we drive our kids to school. You know, they've got massive backpacks on their back. So they don't, you know, do they use the train as much as they should? Maybe not. Um, maybe they should, but, you know, it's a way we live is, is absolutely changed. I agree. And I, I'd love to know from your perspective in terms of the competition out there from buyers, I mean, we feel it quite heavily at the moment given, you know, there's still stock out there, not as much obviously as we would want from the buyer's side. Do you think that in terms of the sellers and the buyers coming to market in the next few months, there'll be a significant change or do you think it's going to be more of a slow trickle through? No, I think it will change. I mean, we're noticing, I've just noticed in the last sort of seven days, the amount of listings coming in, um, the amount of uh, listing presentations where actually all clients we're seeing and meeting. So, no, I think it's going to ramp up. Will it ramp up to the extent that we're used to? Maybe not, but it will be a really, I think, a severe, fast sprint to Christmas. And what it could do is actually even open the markets up earlier in, in 2022. You know, we're typically a post-Australia Day 
um, marketplace here in the Upper North Shore. I'd like to think that that might open up in the first or second week of January next year. Mm-hmm. And do you have any tips for buyers that are looking in the market, may or may not be using a buyer's agent, but obviously from us it comes down to you know preparation and speed and doing your due diligence. Is there anything that you see on the buyer side that sets a successful buyer apart from someone that might be constantly missing out? Yeah, a couple of things there. And I think, you know, first of all, foremost is, is just being prepared and being ready to act because, you know, when you're in a, in a competitive market like we are, you know, buyers that aren't prepared and a little bit slow on the uptake do tend to miss out. Um, I think, you know, like, like we've moved into it, you know, we've gone from the, the paper-based marketing to digital marketing today. We never had buyers agents back in the 90s and early 2000s. And, you know, I think also where you guys come into a great space is that, you know, we will go to buyers agents, you know, along with our hot buyer list first and foremost um, these days. So, so number one, I think, yeah, being prepared, being ready to act when you find that right property, you know, don't, don't hesitate. Um, trust the agent. I mean, if you can, I mean, you know, we're not sometimes all that trustworthy, but if you can build a good rapport and trust, trustworthy relationship and be honest. If you're honest with the agent, typically the agent will be honest with you, in my opinion, shouldn't be this Mexican standoff. So I'd be doing that if you're if you're doing that alone. But if you're, then you're adopting it to a buyer's agent, then know that you know, we will, as agents, get in touch with you guys uh, first and foremost about um, a property we've just listed, especially if we want to, you know, take it to an off-market process. Um, that's that's where there's a lot of benefit in having a buyer's agent. Off-markets. That's another thing I, I wanted to touch on. Have you noticed that that's gone up significantly since the lockdown, or has that kind of remained steady? Yeah, no, it got up significantly. And I, I think, you know, if I look at some of our clients, they want to dip their toes in the water, they want to get a feel for what it's worth. Sometimes they're not in such a rush because they haven't bought anything at this point in time. Um, some are private people, so they don't want other people knowing their business. And um, so it has, it has definitely shot up. I guess the big question mark there is, you know, do you want a convenient quick sale or, or quietish sale or do you want to really test the market and maybe get that extra you know, it's 5%, 10% that the market's willing to pay. But that comes down to, you know, people's needs and wants and their their desires. So, but yeah, it's definitely been uh, an upward trend um, in the marketplace. And I, I put the question back to you, I guess, Dom, you've probably seen that as well. Yeah, 100%. And I think with Henderson Advocacy, we try and secure a property before it does go to market or before it does go to auction for that reason, to try and secure the best possible price essentially for our clients. But end of the day, each client's super specific and the perfect property might not be the off-market one. It might be the on-market one with a lot of competition. So really depends on on the client that we've got. In terms of the split between your on-market and off-market sales, what is that looking like for you? Probably 30-70. So probably 30% off-market, 70% on. Um, And look, I'm a big advocate for going on-market because I do believe that that extra money could be out there. So, you know, I could walk you and your client through and you're willing to pay a price. But, you know, if you're willing to pay that, could there be two or three others that are willing to pay, if not just that, pay that a little bit more? And, and the nature of the competitive um, sale, whether it be by negotiation, pre-auction or, or auction, you know, at the end of the day, our job, like your job, my job is to look after the seller and get the best price. Your job is to look after the buyer and try and get him or her, um, you know, either the property or get it at a better price. So, um, you know, if I... I was talking to any vendors out there at the moment, I'd say in such a hot market, why would you do it off market when you're potentially leaving uh, a fair percentage on the table? But as I said, you know, a few minutes ago, that comes down to also what people really want to do. You know, sometimes 
the extra 10, 20, 50K is not as important as the convenience or the privacy or the secrecy of the sale um, to some people. Exactly. And I think everybody's different to your point. Some people are after a higher price bracket and, and more bang for buck. Some people just want a quick private sale. It's, it's the same with our clients on the buyer side. Some people want to get in super quick. Some take a little bit longer because the brief's a little bit more complex. So definitely not a blanket approach by any means. No, and I think, Dom, from, from Henderson's point of view and, and your buyer's agents is that, you know, not, it's not always about trying to get it for a better price. It's about actually getting it. Um, and you have the you have the skill and the ability to be able to do that probably better than the average the average buyer. So, if I guess if I was adopting a buyer's agent, it'd be more for their skill of actually getting me the property rather than trying to save me that extra bit. If you do, awesome. Um, <laughs> but if you can't, I'm okay with that because it's more about getting the property rather in such a competitive market than trying to save a few bucks here and there. Exactly. And a lot of the buyers we speak to have come to us after their buying journey of, you know, six, nine, sometimes 12 months. And for a lot of people, they believe that that's the norm. Whereas, you know, in our case, we're buying between four to five weeks on average from when we have the initial meeting to purchase. So it's definitely an educational piece around the six, nine, 12 month search isn't actually the norm. It's actually a lot faster than that when you know the area, you know, the agents, you know what a fair price for it is. I guess fair being the keyword. We don't want to undervalue or, or overvalue anything. We want to make sure it's fair on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, um, you know, back to that point where, you know, you can expedite that sale quickly. Um, and then you look at your choice. It's always funny, isn't it, when you're in a bit of a down market and people say, well, I'm waiting for it to hit the bottom. You don't know that until you're 10% back up. And if you look at Sydney property over such a vast period of time, um, it, it's a great asset class. It's always growing. It always will grow. It'll have its ebbs and flows. But I'm sure if you buy a property today for someone and they think, oh, God, you know, we didn't quite get it for maybe we, we felt we have overpaid, just reflect in 12 months' time and see what it's worth then. <laughs> and what did that say? Any time to get, you know, properties, any time is a good time to get into property, really. Um, trying to pick it's tough work. I mean, ideally, yesterday is the best time to get into a property, given how quickly the market's moving. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, who would have picked it? I mean, I personally bought an investment property last year, late last year and thought of the time, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing? But you look back now and you go, I just had it revalued and, and the price jump has been incredible. And I know that for a lot of people. That I, property. I, yeah, exactly. I, I took a gamble soon as COVID hit last year and I was like, oh, should I do it? Should I not? And I was like, you know what? Others have done it in the past at a time like this where it's a bit rocky and it's paid off and it, it has for me as well, which is nice. Absolutely. And I must say, you know, we've, I've been in the industry so long, I've seen so many things and those people that try and sort of, I guess, predict or outsmart the markets, the ones that typically lose out. Um, but as you would know, you know, the best thing is to be in the market at all times. If you're going to get out of it for a short period of time, that's a risk. So try and, you know, make your transaction at the same time if you can. That would be my recommendation to anyone. Agreed. And before we wrap up, I've got a key question. You mentioned that you've gone through multiple property cycles. So I'd love to know if you could go back, you know, say 20, 30 years even, what you would potentially change with your career trajectory or, you know, anything that you've done from the start till now. You know, probably the one key thing is is um, I would have taken more notice and, and done a lot more with my data. Um, and even today, you know, I know there's lots of AI out there, but I think just, you know, the collection of data, the way we use it, the way we categorise it, the way then we can nurture our clients through that process. 
Um, I think that's just one of the key things that I, I have learned over the years and would have changed. I would have made much more effort on the data side earlier on, put it that way. Um, I would have had a better nurturing program in place to nurture past clients. Sometimes we put them to what we call the real estate graveyard and um, that's a really dangerous place to put them because they get picked up by other people. So they're probably the two key things that I would really, you know, the database and the nurturing process would be the key things I'd do. Um, and the only other word of advice would have been I would have bought a lot more property back, you know, back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's a good example. I sold a, a unit in my first couple of years of my career for 180 grand in Linfield. It's just transacted now at 1.2 million. <laughs> You know, and it was facing Pacific Highway. It was noisy as all get out, and it took six months to sell. But now it's sold in like six days for for an incredible price. So buy and accumulate property would be my recommendation. Unbelievable! Great tips. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Not at all. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it. This is general advice and does not take into account your objective situations or needs. You should consider if this advice is suitable to you and your circumstances. Please read any applicable PDS beforehand. Thank you for listening to the podcast.